This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Need basic information on legal rights on topics like employment, consumer or tenancy issues? Then join Luke and Julia on Lawfully Speaking, next on Plains FM 96.9. of Lawfully Speaking with Luke. Uh, Today what we're going to be talking about is activism. Um, Specifically, we're going to be kind of chatting about what your basic rights to organize, mean, express yourself are. Talking generally also about um, wider activist strategies, um, getting the necessary permissions before you protest or event, um, information um, and what's illegal and what's not um, when you're in a protest. Also, information about specific forms of protest like occupation, political graffiti, and flag burning. Um, finally, if we get time, we'll talk about police powers to watch and monitor you um, and some practical advice about how to keep your information private and secure. So first, we'll be covering um, you know, some fundamental rights, just kind of covering the basics really to start. So um, do I have the right to protest? In New Zealand, the answer is definitely yes. Your right to protest uh, rests on several specific rights and freedoms that are guaranteed under New Zealand law. The right to meet and organize with others, it's a freedom of association. The right to gather and protest with others, a freedom of peaceful assembly. And the right to speak out and say what you think, which is freedom of expression. We'll discuss these um, different rights specifically. So as long as you're not breaking the law, the government organizations and the police should recognize and protect your right to protest. So meeting and organizing with others. Uh, This is the right of freedom of association. Your right to freedom of association includes the right to form any type of organization and to associate with any other individual or organization. When combined with freedom of expression, it also includes the right to advertise um, that you are doing these activities. So your right to freedom of peaceful assembly means you can gather in a group so as long as it isn't for violent purposes, um, like rioting and you're not disturbing the peace. It includes the right to plan and to invite people to that gathering. Your right to peaceful assembly doesn't include the right to infringe on other people's freedom of movement by preventing them from using a road, for example. Here are some other potential limitations on the right to peaceful assembly. So, uh, specifically, notifying the authorities in advance. Generally, local councils can require that you give them advance notice of a protest if it will disturb a public space. For example, um, distributing um, uh, traffic by marching along a road. Um, The amount of advance notice they require must be reasonable. In overseas cases, the court said that 15 days was unreasonable requirement, while six hours was found to be uh, reasonable. The number of people. So there are no legal limits on the size of your protest, but different size gatherings may require different health and safety issues to be dealt with. For example, if it's just a small march, you may have to walk on the footpath. The length of time. There are no legal limits specifically on how long your protest can go for. But, again, laws dealing with health, safety, um, 
may come into play. For example, in one case involving Occupy Auckland, Auckland's um, square, the judge decided that the protest wasn't protected by the right to peaceful assembly because it was interfering with the public use of the space and the protesters had it indicated um, they intended to be there indefinitely. Um, so speaking out, this is a old one, the right of freedom of expression. So your right to freedom of expression means you have the right to seek, receive, and provide information and opinions of any kind in any form. Expression covers a wide range of things, including, for example, um, picketing, striking, flag burning, um, pornographic, pornography, um, swastikas, non-political expressions, how you dress, and parking a car. The right doesn't protect violent behavior, however. These are some of the ways your right to freedom of expression can be limited. Interfering with activities um, you're opposed to. If you physically interfere with the activity you're protesting against, for example, tying yourself to a tree about to be cut down, your right to express yourself could be limited by laws such as trespass. Swearing in offensive language. So offensive language is a minor criminal offense in New Zealand, and in some cases, swearing at a protest could result in a conviction for this offense, whether swearing is an offense um, is dealt with on a case-by-case -case basis, however. So censorship. In New Zealand, some material is banned, like child pornography, and material showing uh, bestiality, acts of torture, or extreme violence, or cruelty. So it's also important to remember that um, under the Human Rights Act, uh, racist hate speech is not protected. It's a criminal offense to say things that are threatening, abusive, or insulting to any group of people in New Zealand because of their color, race, or ethnicity, or national origins. If you do this in a public place, or within hearing a public place, or meeting to which the public have been invited or have access, uh, the person can be jailed for up to three months or fined up to $7,000. Religion, sexual orientation, and gender have no such protections. Now we're going to just be giving a quick overview of um, uh, land occupation and claims under the treaty. So this section um, is going to explain the status of uh, the treaty, and they might be relevant for activists. It explains the process for taking a claim to the Waitangi Tribunal and how to make a tribunal claim might support a political movement seeking justice. So recently in Aotearoa, there have been a resurgence of Maori land occupations inspired by a long line of Maori-led political movements from the 19th century. The Crown engages the rights of Maori as Tangata Whenua are protected. Um, the Waitangi Tribunal has over time developed a set of principles that is presented as treaty principles, including partnership, active protection, and participation. These principles are now um, now inform the policy-based decisions and practices in government and other organizations, and have led to led to the recognition of rights, um, including iwi have the right to organize as iwi under the law to control their resources as their own. All New Zealanders are equal before the law. The government is responsible for providing effective processes for resolving grievances. The government has the right to make laws for all citizens. So what is the Waitangi Tribunal? Um, the Waitangi Tribunal was established to investigate claims um, made by Maori that actions or inactions or omissions of the Crown, uh, this is central government, um, that breaches the principles of the treaty. 
Crown duties, especially the duty to act reasonably, honorably, and in good faith as treaty partner. The tribunal f functions to address outstanding treaty claims and to support reconciliation between Mari and the Crown. It is required to report its findings and recommendations to the Crown. At the first tribunal, only had the power to address breaches happening from 1975 onwards. Uh, ten years later, after a further period of strong Mari protest, a significant amendment to the Act in 1985 allowed the tribunal to deal with breaches all going all the way back to, 19, to 1840. In 2008, the Act was amended again to prevent Mari from bringing any further claims about historical breaches that happened before 1992. So does the government have to follow decisions of the White Chinese Tribunal? Um, no, it's important to understand that the direct impact of a tribunal's findings may be limited as they usually aren't legally binding on the Crown. So, for example, just because the Waitangi Tribunal recommends that the Crown do a particular thing, that does not mean the Crown has to do it. The Crown may decide not to follow the tribunal recommendations or choose to delay its response. So, other protections for indigenous rights in New Zealand and international law. Indigenous rights are also protected under New Zealand law and New Zealand Bill of Rights Act 1990 and under international conventions the New Zealand government has signed, the UN Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, 2010. Mari can make submissions to the UN, usually through particular committees, asking them to recommend to the New Zealand government that it investigates alleged breaches of a UN convention. So we're now going to talk about taking a treaty claim um, to the Waitangi Tribunal. So what is a treaty claim? Claims made to the Waitangi Tribunal are allegations that the Crown uh, breached the treaty by particular actions or inactions causing Mari to be prejudicially affected. Um, that is to suffer some kind of loss or harm or otherwise be neg negatively affected. A treaty claim can be about a specific area of land, but it can also be about a broader issue or government policy that Mari believe is unfair. For example, Mari have submitted claims about confiscated lands, but also about Tierra Mari broadcasting and fisheries. Who can make a claim to the tribunal? Uh, you must have you must have Mari um, Wakupapa. If you want to make a claim to the Waitangi Tribunal, your claim should specify your particular group, Hapu or Iwi. Once you've lodged your claim, you and your Wano claiming with you become known as the claimants. A group of claimants can be represented by one or more individuals so long as the group or all have Mari Wakupapa. If a group you've decided you will be represented by one or more individuals from your group or by some other representative, it is a good idea to tell the tribunal clearly how you came to that decision, as mandate and representation issues commonly arise at tribunal cases. So can Mari make claims against private companies? So it's important to know that the answer to that is no. You can't bring a Waitangi Tribunal claim directly against, for example, a large private construction or property development company. However, you may be able to reframe an issue as being about an action or a mission by the Crown. And this may allow you to make a claim under the treaty, for example, if the problem is a private oil company doing offshore drilling, you may be able to get the Waitangi Tribunal to investigate the process through which the company got their drilling permits from the Crown. Also, claims cannot be made against private landowners who own land that the Crown had earlier confiscated. However, once again, it can reframe the issue in a way that 
uncovers a treaty breach by the Crown, then you may be able to claim to the tribunal. This has been the case for many Iwi groups bringing claims about confiscated lands, and although privately owned, cannot become um, cannot be returned through settlement process. Compensation is made in other forms. Therefore, it is important to think carefully about how you frame the treaty grievance. Can Mari make claims against local councils? So the answer to this is also no. You can only make claims against the crown, which means central government. This doesn't include city, district, and regional councils or other local government organizations. The treaty was signed by the crown, so it's the crown that must honor those treaty obligations. How do we make a claim to the Waitangi Tribunal? You can engage a lawyer that specializes in treaty issues to submit a claim on your behalf, or you can submit a claim yourself. Legal aid is available for claimants to the tribunal to pay for costs of hiring a lawyer. To start the process of submitting a claim, you can either call the tribunal offices for queries or email them at wtregistrar@justice.gov.nz. You can send your completed claim to the tribunal by again emailing it to that same email address or posting it to the Waitangi Tribunal, Wellington, New Zealand, or delivering it in person to the tribunal at a level 7 um, Fujitsu Tower, 141 Terrace, Wellington, New Zealand. We are now going to talk about decisions and settlement of treaty claims. What happens when a claim is submitted? So once the Waitangi Tribunal has accepted and registered your claim, the tribunal will start the process of assessing the claim. The tribunal will contact you, the claimant, or the claimants, citing uh, the claim's assigned number. This is just your short for your Waitangi Tribunal claim number. The Crown interested parties will be notified of the claim. If the claim submitted is similar to other claims, the claims may be regrouped uh, or grouped together um, in, in the inquiry process so that it can all be heard at once. For example, claims relating to electoral issues um, flora and fauna, forestry ownership, fishery, and broadcasting have been heard all in this similar way. After the relevant people are all notified, there's a stage which research is done by the tribunal, the claimants, and the, the crown. When hearings are held so the tribunal can hear evidence from you to support your claim, as well as evidence from the crown. During a hearing, evidence is usually given by EWI members, lawyers, and historians or other specialists. Tribunal uh, members listen to the evidence and consider whether and how the principles of the treaty may have been breached. When it is finished assessing the claim, the tribunal will release its findings and recommendations in the form of a report. The claimants and the Crown can then consider how they will respond to the tribunal's report. The tribunal's report can be used by the government to negotiate an agreement with the claimants or called a treaty settlement. So what is a treaty settlement? Settlements acknowledge historical claims, including breaches of the treaty and various effects of its wrongdoing on Mari. And they offer a settlement package that includes financial compensation and other measures to address the harm that was done. Past settlements have enhanced iwi culture and commercial development. The settlements have helped to restore the economic base of iwi and more broadly to create me mechanisms to protect iwi and Mari interests. Recently, we have seen iwi get innovative through settlements, for example, through 
um, obtaining legal recognition for both. Um, they want to river as legal persons, granting legal personality to Awa, Mano, or Raho. And in this way, is intended to give Iwi the legal right and means to protect them. Settlement negotiations are facilitated um, through the Office for Maori Crown Relations. Each settlement is different to acknowledge and address different forms of loss, but they also um, always include an account on what had happened in the past or the substance of a breach in a contemporary claim, a written apology by the Crown, and some form of compensation um, or other redress, usually including money. And if land was confiscated, the return the Crown owned land. How long does the Waitangi Tribunal take? How long is that process? The, tri the tribunal's process can take many years before claim is heard and settled. This is mainly because there are numerous claims. The tribunal has been under-resourced and often the issues are complex and also have far-reaching implications. For activists, it is therefore worth considering the treaty claim pathway as one part of a wider strategy. Your strategy might include elements of direct action alongside the slow but vital work of the Waitangi Tribunal investigators. The most effective way to get some traction going down the treaty claim pathway is to look at the tribunal's urgency process, as this may help you get to your claim heard faster or bumped up the list. So now we're going to talk about organizing a protest and some rules you might need to comply with. So protesting at public places in the streets, whether you need permission for your protest and who you need to ask depends on where you intend to protest, including what part of the country you're in. It also depends on things like the method of protest, the number of people likely to be involved, and the time that it will happen. Local council bylaws may require you to give notice of your march, protest, or other event. For example, Wellington City Council's bylaws say that you need to get council permission if, you, if your event will affect vehicle or pedestrian traffic. How long does it take for the council to process your application will vary depending on the factors involved. Uh, so make sure you apply as early as you can. They may also require further information um, or planning, like health or safety or traffic and pedestrian management plans. So protesting at Parliament, if you want to hold a protest on Parliament grounds, you need to get permission from the Speaker of the House of Representatives. Um, you could email them at speakers.office at parliament.gov.nz, or you could write to the office, um, the Office of the Speaker of Parliament Buildings. University protests. Different universities regulate protests in different ways. To find out your university's approach, start by checking the university's policies um, published on its website. Victoria University in Wellington, for example, has a specific protest policy that says, among other things, that there are some places like labs and individual staff offices that students cannot occupy under any circumstances, but also that the university management will normally endeavor to resolve protests without involving the police and other relevant external parties. Otago, by contrast, has relevant, has relevant rules in different university regulations. For instance, its university campus and premise regulations say that the posting of notices and writing slogans and messages can only be done in places uh, and ways set by the university. While its traffic and parking regulations confirm that the university is a public place and so New Zealand's traffic laws and regulations will apply there. Student charters may also include relevant rights and responsibilities when organizing a protest. For example, 
The Otago Student Charter says students are expected to promote an environment which is safe and free from harassment and discrimination and to respect both universities and private property. Organizing Legal Observers for Your Protest Legal observers are trained volunteers who support activists on protests by doing things like handling out business cards to protesters, these cards that have basic information about legal rights, the police's search and arrest powers, and phone numbers for suitable lawyers, keeping notes about how police behave at, on the protest, and monitoring arrests, including helping with arrested protesters at the police station be connected with lawyers and other support and finding witnesses to those events. So really quickly, we're just going to talk about protests and the general criminal law, behavior, and language. So disorderly behavior. One criminal offense that protesters are sometimes charged with is behaving in an offensive or disorderly manner in a public space. This is a minor offense punishable by only a fine of $1,000. However, the police can still arrest you without a warrant for this. To get a conviction, the police would have to prove something more than, for example, that some people were seriously offended. They'd have to prove you disrupted the public order so that other members of the public weren't able to go about their normal activities in that public place. There's also a more serious version of this offense, uh, which is where your behavior is likely to cause violence against people or damage property. This carries the possibility of a short jail term up to three months or a fine up to $2,000. If you swear at a protest, what if I swear or insult the police? So offensive language in a public place is a minor criminal offense in New Zealand. In some cases, repeatedly swearing on, on a protest could result in a conviction for this offense. However, this will depend on the particular circumstances, including exactly what you said, how often, and um, so on. The judge will take into account your rights to freedom of expression on the Bill of Rights and in deciding whether to balance how you behaved was serious enough to breach the criminal law. In some cases, swearing at the police on a protest could also amount to offensive language. However, the courts have said that police officers, along with other professionals who deal with vulnerable people like WIN staff, teachers, nurses, and doctors, should be expected to put up with a greater amount of abuse than an ordinary members of the public. The judge will take this into account in deciding whether on the balance your behavior amounted to offensive behavior. Threatening a police officer could amount to an offense of assaulting a police officer, which is punishable by up to six months in jail or fine of up to $4,000. This is because an assault includes the threat of an assault. That's been another episode of Lawfully Speaking with Luke. Um, kind of potentially uh, rush through the information about today. Uh, hopefully um, everyone heard it. The fortunate thing is the podcast, if you missed anything, feel free to go back and listen. I really enjoy having these chats uh, monthly, and I hope everyone's enjoying them too. Cheers.